the book of John, the Gospel of John. So if you've got a Bible, you can, uh, you can find the book of John. John is writing an account of some of the key significant moments of Jesus' life. Um, it's one of the four Gospels, one of the four accounts of um, key moments in Jesus' life. And we're working our way through this one, through John. And some people would say the accounts of Jesus were written hundreds of years. Do you ever hear that? People say, you can't believe the accounts of Jesus. They were written hundreds of years after Jesus, surely. Um, do you ever hear that from people? How can you trust them? Well, you know, even as we look at our passage this morning, and as we've been working through the book of John, there is so much attention to detail, particularly around uh, religious festivals and culture and geography and language. And, and, and John's an example of that. It's packed full of that kind of detail um, that only someone at the time would kind of know some of those details. Uh, and so it, it really does point to the fact that it was written very shortly after the events that it writes about. Um, so if you want to find John chapter 7, we're going to work through that. We're going to start at verse 1, but the majority of it is from verse 37. And we're going to see Jesus talking about water. Last week we had lamb. Was everyone getting hungry during Sushi's talk last week? Last week was lamb. Uh, this week... Maybe, maybe it's a little, uh, a little more disappointing. It's water. Um, have you, here's a question while you're looking for that. Have you ever been really grateful for water? You know, in this country, we have pretty good access to water, don't we? We don't really have many worries around kind of water provision. Some people would say we have too much. Um, you know, you can, you can have all the water you want from the tap and you, you can have filtered water um, from a tap as well, maybe, or maybe, I won't ask if anyone's got this, you can have boiling water from a tap now in your house. But did you know, in the world, one in nine, that's over 400, it's about 450, no, it's about 850 million people don't have access to safe water. That's huge. And as I was thinking about water, I was thinking, when have I been at my thirstiest? Um, I think it might have been when we took a holiday uh, to Tunisia uh, before we had children, Jody and I. And Tunisia is an Islamic country, and uh, it was during Ramadan that we went on holiday. And I was very conscious of eating and drinking in front of the local Tunisian. I don't think Jody was that bothered about it. She didn't care. Uh, I was very conscious about eating and drinking in front of the local Tunisians uh, to, to offend them. Uh, during the day, um, and we took a train uh, one day to the capital, which is Tunis, and uh, it was a v I remember it being a very hot day. We were traveling on this busy train, this very slow train, through the kind of dusty countryside, uh, and, and, I'm, and I had a bottle of water in my bag because we'd taken them with us, but I, was, I, I did not want to get it out on the train to drink this water for fear of offending people. And, and I knew it was in my bag, but I just couldn't get it out because I didn't want to offend them. And I was so, so thirsty on this hot, dry train. Perhaps you've got a memory of being really, really thirsty. Perhaps some of our friends from... Uh, more hotter climates know of times where they've experienced real thirst. 
So let's look at our passage this morning. We're going to start from uh, verse 1 for a little bit and then move on. Okay. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you do. Uh, and then Jesus kind of says, no, I'm not going. Uh, it's not my time to go. But then he, he, he decides he is going to go, and he does go uh, up to the feast. Uh, and then picking up from verse 14, it says, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And then we're going to move to verse 37. It says, On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you come to us this morning as you've been with us? Would you keep speaking to us? Uh, Keep changing us? Lord, would you, in these moments, as we look at your word, your living word, would you come and do an amazing work of grace and kindness and power in each of our hearts? Amen. So it's important to understand what time of year it is for the Jewish people. It's the festival of tabernacles, we're told. They were remembering a time when they were in the wilderness, when they were in the desert, before God had led them into the land that he'd promised to give them. See, the festival of tabernacles, tabernacles means tent. Uh, And it's what they lived in when they were in this wilderness time. They lived in tents because they were on the move. In fact, that was one of the ways they remembered this festival, actually. They would live in tents for seven days. Uh, They would uh, put tents on their uh, flat roofs or kind of outside their houses. Not tents like we've got, but perhaps tents with with branches. Perhaps not like some of these um, air inflatable tents that I know Debs has got and are amazing and, and go up in no time, but actually ones that probably would just be kind of branches and bits that they could find and around the place and they would make these makeshift tents and live in them for seven days as they remembered the festival of tabernacles and it was it was a time to remember that god was with them during that time that he was present see that's one of the great threads that runs through the bible god's plan is to be with his people you know you look at from the beginning of genesis and 
God's chosen to be with his people. He chooses to be with and live in relationship with Adam and Eve. See, we're called to live in and know the presence of God. That's when we most flourish. That's when we most know who we are. That's when we know true purpose in life. But the account of Adam and Eve also tells us that this was ruined, that by their decision to reject God, actually they were unable, unwilling to live in his presence, unwilling to kind of access the presence of God. And ever since, humans have been doing the same. And ever since, the consequences of that rejection of God have been the same. Unable to live in his presence. But God didn't abandon his people completely. Even when they ended up in slavery, God raised up a guy, Moses, to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And after that, they they were wandering in this desert time through the wilderness. And God was with them, though. He hadn't left them. And he led them by a pillar of cloud through the day and, and a pillar of fire at night. And there was a tent set up where he would come and meet the people and he would meet Moses and speak with them. That's what they're remembering at this festival. God was with them. And they're also remembering that God provided. Perhaps you know the account of that time in the wilderness where you know, they were thirsty. You imagine being in a wilderness and not having access to water and not being able to get safe drinking water. And God provides for them. And he says, look, strike the rock and the rock will flow water out for you and provide water. God provided at that moment water for them. And in the festival as well, they would remember that they relied on God for rain. They, they, they rely, it was a, that type of culture. You know, if it doesn't rain one year here, we kind of enjoy it, don't we? Hey, we had a, not much rain this summer. It's quite nice. Really hot summer. But actually for them, it was really important. They needed the rain for um, all that was provided through it, for crops and all sorts of things. So, so this festival is, has lots of symbolic water in it. See, actually... God's presence and blessing is often symbolized through water in the Bible. We see that quite a lot. And in fact, one thing that they used to do in this festival was the priest would, um, he would get a golden jug. Oh, didn't. Well, this is not golden. I have no gold in our house, I don't think. But he would, they would get a golden jug like this and the priest would go down to a place called the Pool of Siloam. And uh, he would get his golden jug and he would fill it with water. I'm going to try and do this. There we go. No, no. He had better access to water than I did. He would fill this jug from the pool of Siloam. And then he would carry it back up to the top, up the steps. And... uh, and as, they grew, as he would go, perhaps they, they would be, he'd be thinking of particular Old Testament passages like Isaiah 12 that says, uh, with joy we draw from the well of salvation. And he would climb up the steps and he would get to the top. And uh, he pours it 
into, he does, they do this every day of the festival for seven days. He pours it into this bowl that then it kind of trickles down the altar and down the steps. And as he pours it out, and perhaps he was thinking of uh, Nehemiah 9, which says this, 19 to 20, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. And, you know, he would do this uh, day after day during the festival. And again, do it the next day, go back to the pool of Siloam, fill it up again with water. Coming back up, back up maybe singing the same thing, with joy we draw from the well of salvation, coming up to the top, again, pouring it into a bowl, then pour down the steps, and a a trumpet would be blown at the same time. It'd be a real kind of celebration, a joyous time, remembering God was present, God had been present with them, remembering that God provided for them. And there was one particular Old Testament passage that might have been in their minds too, and it's one from Ezekiel. It's in chapter 47. And it's a, it's a vision that Ezekiel the prophet has of water flowing out of the temple. See, when we see water where it shouldn't be, it's a bad thing, isn't it? Have you ever had water coming through a roof? We've had that in our offices quite a few times. You know, you think, oh, someone's flooded the bath or you know, something's, something's gone wrong. It's a bad thing. You know, this was a good thing that Ezekiel saw. Water flooding out of the temple, down the steps, and out into um, the world. It was, a, it was a vision of God being powerfully present with his people in a totally new way. And then, on the final day of the festival, they would do the same thing. The priest would go down, he'd fill up the thing with water, and he'd go back up, sing the same songs and recite the same verses. But actually, water wouldn't be poured out into the bowl and down the altar and trickling down the steps. They wouldn't do it because perhaps this would be the day that God would return to the temple. Perhaps this would be the day where spiritual water would flow out from the temple to all around. And so we're told that it's on this final day, the final and greatest day of the festival, that Jesus stands up and shouts out, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He's saying, look, are you thinking about water? Are you thinking about God's presence in your life? That spiritual thirst that you have, I can meet, I can fulfill, says Jesus. This is what the Bible teacher Don Carson says. Uh, He says, what Jesus is saying is very clear. 
He is claiming that he's the fulfillment of all that the Feast of the Tabernacles anticipated and longed for. But get this, because I know some of us will know this passage really well. We'll have heard it on many Alpha talks over the years. But get this, this is fascinating. Jesus is not only talking to his followers. This isn't just an invite to his inner circle. No, no, he stands up and he shouts, he cries to as many people as can hear him. Yes, to his followers, but also to those who were still making their mind up about him. To those who thought he was a deceiver. To those who thought he was a madman. To those who wanted to arrest him and have him killed. So he's saying, look, no matter where you're at, come and recognize that I am truthful. Come and recognize that you can find fulfillment in me. Listen, I, 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 I was thinking about this as we draw near to Alpha. We, we kind of go, oh, I won't invite that person. I'm just not sure where they're at. And, oh, I, I don't know what they would think. And, you know, maybe there is some wisdom in that sometimes. But do you know what? Jesus' message is for all. And you might find the unlikeliest of persons saying, do you know what? Yeah, I will come along. Yeah, I will come for that evening. Or, yeah, I'll come for the whole course. Listen, don't just discount them thinking, oh, it'll just be certain people I'll ask. You know, why don't you step out? And maybe, as it were, take a risk on that person that you're thinking about. Because the, the problem is, as it was then and as it is today, people look for that fulfillment in all sorts of different places. In fact, they'll look anywhere other than Jesus. Here's two examples. Maybe that is success and money. Make loads of money and you will be fulfilled. That will satisfy the thirst in your life, we're told. This is what the actor Jim Carrey said. Anyone know Jim Carrey from uh, uh, Dumb and Dumber and what was that? Mask, what else has he been in? Oh no, I'm not asking Matthew. He'll know every single film that he's been in. But you know, he's a big star, isn't he? Made a lot of money and has become very, very famous. And he said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Fascinating. Fascinating. Maybe that's in sexual fulfillment. See, we're told to live a satisfying life, you need to live a sexually fulfilled life. And that means with whoever and, and pretty much whenever you want. But actually, God's plan, the, the one who designed sex, is in the context of faithful covenant marriage between a man and a woman. It can't be used, as it were, to kind of satisfy that deep thirst that we have for God. Listen, listen, Jubilee, Teesside is thirsty. Our nation is thirsty and it hasn't realized the one that meets that thirst Jesus says come to me and drink come to me and drink so the question is this morning are you thirsty 
Are you thirsty? If you are, hey, you're in a good place. You're in the right place. Are you thirsty looking for what will satisfy? Are you thirsty for more of Jesus in your life, more of his presence, more of his power, just as we have this morning, to be, more of his power to be able to forgive, more of his power to be able to surrender, more of his power to see him heal and touch lives. Are you thirsty this morning? So I just want us to look at what it means to drink. Because Jesus doesn't say, if anyone's thirsty, you know, recognize that the facts about me are true. Acknowledge that I did some good things. No, no, he says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. What does it mean? What does he mean there, come and drink? Well, firstly, it means come and believe in him. Recognize that he is true and what he says is true and then put your trust in him. See, we put our trust in him, that he's the one that can satisfy our thirst. See, you can know all the things that Jesus said. You can know all the things that Jesus did. You can know that he said, I've come to forgive and you know, all your disobedience I can deal with because I dealt with it on the cross. You can know that. But until you've asked and received that, you haven't come to him and drunk. Where are you today? Have you come to drink that truth? Have you come to trust in him for forgiveness and for new life? Coming to him and drinking also means encountering him through the Bible. So it's not just an ancient book. It is an ancient book. It's not just a kind of ancient book, but it's living. And we encounter Jesus as we get to know him through his word. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us this word is God-breathed. These scriptures are a God-breathed. God's breathed his life into them for us. They're living. But you can read it and not drink. You can read it to make yourself feel clever. I sometimes do that. You can read it to make, you to make yourself feel holier. I sometimes do that. You can read it for some other reason. But you can come to it and encounter Jesus and drink, allowing the Spirit to change you as you encounter him. The, the famous Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, 200 years ago, he, he preached a lot and uh, he was once asked, was he ever worried about running short of sermons? And he said, I imagine he said it in a Scottish accent, no! But he said, no. no I won't do a Scottish accent. He said, he said no. actually he's from Edinburgh, so that's kind of a bit posher, isn't it? Than, uh, no. he, he said, no, when the Bible runs dry, then shall I. You know, he knew how to read and drink from the Bible. Drinking also refers to receiving the presence of God in our lives. His power through his Holy Spirit. So as we've seen in the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was a festival where they looked back and thanked God 
for his provision, for his presence, but also a looking forward to something new, a future day where God would be powerfully present with his people in a new way like never before. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the way we encounter God. It's the way we are filled with God. It's the way we're empowered by God. This is the God of the Bible, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not three gods. This is not God and his two assistants. No, no, this is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you receive God the Holy Spirit like Jesus talks about? Well, he reminds us that it's not meant to be complicated. In fact, he likens it to drinking. There's a simple illustration for us, isn't there? Jesus used some simple illustrations often, and he likens it to drinking. Did you have to be taught to drink? Chris, did you, did you, did you have to be taught to drink? Or, or, no, no, you didn't, did you? just came. But, but you know, in, in the main, you don't, have to be, you don't have to teach a baby to drink, teach a child to drink. Actually, it knows how to drink. We know how to drink. You may have to teach it how to drink nicely with some manners, but you, know, you don't have to teach it how to drink. It's easy. We drink. You know, just drink. It's a simple thing. You know, we receive the Spirit in the same way as we receive Jesus, by faith. Don't receive the Spirit by good behavior. If only I can get my behavior to a certain level, then God will allow me to be filled with His Spirit. We don't receive the Spirit by achieving a certain level of knowledge. If, only I, if, I, if I know enough verses, God will bless me with being filled with the Spirit. We don't receive the Spirit by being a certain age. Maybe some of you younger guys are thinking, maybe when I'm older, then I'll be filled with the Spirit. No, no. We do it the same way we receive Jesus. By saying, thank you. I receive it by faith. I receive all that you have for me by faith, right now. And that's God's plan. That, that, that's God's plan for you and I, that he's with you and I in life. Not just here on a Sunday morning, but with us through the week. He's with you and I by his Spirit, empowering us to be his witnesses to those people that we meet, to care for those around us compassionately, to do the things that he did, to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, to show God's love to the world. So I want to ask you again, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God's presence in your life? Not just so you can have an experience on a Sunday morning, but so you are empowered for the week ahead. So finally, I want to just touch on the final part of this passage. Jesus has told us what he's talking about. In fact, John says it, doesn't he? By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, John talks a lot about glory. He talks a lot about it. If you read through John's Gospel, 
He's talking all the time about Jesus being glorified, the glory that I have. See, glory could be described as when something is seen for all its splendor and all its worth. When a new product is revealed, we kind of say, we're told that now we get to see it in its, all its glory. The new iPhone XR. Is that the latest one? XS. Revealed in all its glory. The, the, this new sports car revealed to us now in all its glory, we're told. But next year, or in a few years' time, it'll be a better one. It won't be so glorious. But what does John mean about the glory of Jesus? He's talking about his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his going to heaven in victory. Why was it glorious? Because actually God himself was laying down his life for you and for me. He was defeating death. And we see him in his glory and his splendor and his worth. That is so worthy of our praise. And it's from heaven that the Father and the Son send the Spirit to you and I. Why? Because it's the Spirit that, shares, that Jesus shares with us his risen, victorious life and blessing. Listen, a church that is centred on Jesus is a church that lives by the Spirit. See, without the Spirit, the church is just another institution that eventually will just crumble and fade. It's just a, an organisation that is centred around Jesus as an idea. But actually, a church that is filled with the Spirit is joined to Jesus. And we're joined to his resurrection power. We're joined to his sin-conquering, death-defeating life. And do you know what? He wants to fill you and I today with that same power, with his powerful presence See, we sometimes kind of go, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Is that just some kind of hazy experience, some foggy blur that comes on me, or some nice kind of touch on a Sunday morning? No, no, it's, it's actually the very presence of Jesus coming to you and I to empower us for life. And he wants to do that for this morning. So again, I want to ask you, are you thirsty this morning for more of the presence of Jesus? I want us to come and drink this morning. I would love for the band to come up and I'd love us to respond in song and I'd love us to drink deeply. Listen, perhaps you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe drinking for you this morning will mean coming to Jesus for the first time and saying, Lord, I want to receive that forgiveness that you talk about for all my rejection of you, but I want to receive new life in you and receive your presence in my life. Perhaps you know this morning that you're facing some significant difficulties, hurdles, they feel like, challenges. Maybe even it feels like unanswered prayer. I'm going back to God in this. This morning, he wants to fill you with fresh joy, fresh hope, his presence to you. 
Perhaps there's something you're praying for, a person, a family member. He wants this morning to fill you with fresh power and fresh hope for that person. Perhaps there's a decision you know you've got to make at work or in life. He wants to come with such wisdom by his spirit that he might lead you and guide you in that. Perhaps as we've already heard this morning, it's about healing. You know, you need a fresh touch of healing. Hey, just because we prayed once doesn't mean God doesn't want to heal you right now. So let's come and drink deeply. Why don't we stand, if you're able to, and drink deeply of this spirit. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. But we come in faith to receive from this Jesus. Just start to receive. Just come in faith to receive all he has for you. If you find it helpful to put your arms out, do that. If you find it helpful to close your eyes, do that. But receive this morning a fresh God the Holy Spirit.